As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Okay, so today we have a startup that honestly could have been a plot in Silicon Valley at times. It's got a mysterious founder who uses an alias to obscure his background identity, a growing conspiracy theory about ties to the U.S. government, and has enabled people to both avoid government prosecution, but also plot terrorist acts, and has been a place where the January 6th insurrectionists have gone to plan their next attack on the U.S. Capitol. That is a lot, and you might have given away too much there, Michael. <laughs> Okay, okay, I got a little excited, right? Today, we're going to talk about Signal, the encrypted messaging app that promises to make privacy available to everyone. Now, to understand the controversy here, this is going to take a little trip through encryption history so that we can all understand how the U.S. government has funded other privacy apps like Tor and potential implications that it presents. It's going to be a good one, so let's get into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Fundamentally, there's two ways to think about uh, security. One is uh, like computer security, uh, this idea that we'll somehow make computers secure. We'll put information on the computers and then we'll prevent other people from accessing those computers. And that is like a losing strategy that people have been losing for 30 years, you know. Uh, you information ends up on a computer somewhere and it ends up compromised in the end. The other way to think about security is information security, where you secure the information itself, that you don't have to worry about the security of the computers. You could have some computers in the cloud somewhere, information's flowing through them, and people can compromise those things and it doesn't really matter because the information itself is encrypted. And so, you know, things like SMS, you know, the iMessage cloud backups, um, uh, most other messengers, Facebook Messenger, all that stuff, you know, um, they're relying on this computer security model. And 
that ends up disappointing people in the end. That's Moxie Marlinspike from an interview late last year with Joe Rogan, whose government name is Matthew Rosenfield. Moxie is an American entrepreneur and cryptographer who is the creator of Signal, co-founder of the Signal Foundation, and currently serves as the CEO of Signal Messenger. Now, previously, Moxie founded Whisper Systems, which was an enterprise mobile security company that was created in 2010. The company was acquired by Twitter in November 2011, mainly as an acquihire of Moxie to improve their security. Now, some of the company's software products were released under free software licenses after the acquisition, and that led to the creation of an independent organization called Open Whisper Systems. Now, I know we threw a lot of names out there, <laughs> but it'll be important to understand a little bit later on. Here's more from Moxie on the founding of Signal. Fundamentally, I feel like um, private communication is important because I think that change happens in private. Um, everything that is fundamentally decent today uh, started out as something that was a socially unacceptable idea at the time. Uh, you look at things like you know, obvious things, that abolition of slavery, legalization of marijuana, legalization of same-sex marriage, uh, even, you know, constructing the dec Declaration of Independence. Those are all things that required a space for people to process ideas outside the context of everyday life. And those spaces don't exist on the Internet today. And I think it's kind of crazy the way the Internet works today, you know, that, like, if you imagined, you know, every moment that you were talking to somebody in real life, there was somebody there just with a clipboard, a stranger, mm -hmm. taking notes about what you said. That would change the character of your conversations. And I think that in some ways, like, we're living through a shortage of brave or bold or courageous ideas, in part because people don't have the space to process what's happening in their lives outside of the context of everyday interactions. You know. So Signal was founded out of this concept that people deserve privacy and spaces to explore ideas that aren't monitored by either the social mob like Twitter or by governments and private companies. In its simplest form, Signal is a messaging app that scrambles messages until they reach their intended reader. They've also developed protocols so that this encryption can be added to any messenger app easily, such as WhatsApp, which did actually integrate Signal's technology into their messaging system. Now, Signal is a successor of the Redphone encrypted voice calling app and the TextSecure encrypted texting program. The beta versions of Redphone and TextSecure were first launched in May 2010 by Whisper Systems, who was then acquired by Twitter, who shut down Redphone and TechSecure. Twitter later released TechSecure as a free and open source software under GPL v3 license in December of 2011. Redphone was also released under the same license in July of 2012. Moxie then left Twitter and founded Open Whisper Systems in January 2013. In February of 2014, Open Whisper Systems introduced the second version of their Tech Secure protocol, now Signal Protocol. And that added end to end encrypted group chat and instant messaging capabilities to Tech Secure. Towards the end of July 2014, they announced plans to merge the Redphone and Tech Secure applications as signal. For the next two years, they made a number of key releases that eventually culminated in a complete suite of apps from desktop to mobile on Windows, Linux, Mac, iOS, Android that allowed users to switch devices seamlessly. Matching the workflows and feature sets of more popular messaging apps on the market. And this work was completed in 2017. Now, signal messages are encrypted with the signal protocol, uh, formerly known as the tech secure protocol. Now, this protocol combines the double ratchet algorithm, pre-keys, and an extended 
triple diffy helmet handshake. <laughs> Serious stuff. It's honestly way above my pay grade. So as of August 2018, the Signal protocol has been implemented into WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Skype, and Google Allo, making it possible for the conversations of more than a billion people worldwide to be end-to-end encrypted. And to add to their street cred, on October 4th, 2016, the American Civil Liberties Union and Open Whisper Systems published a series of documents revealing that OWS had received a subpoena requiring them to provide information associated with two phone numbers for a federal grand jury investigation in the first half of 2016. Only one of the two phone numbers was actually registered on Signal. And because of how the services designated, OWS was only able to provide the time the user's account had been created and the last time it connected to the service. Along with the subpoena, OWS received a gag order requiring OWS not to tell anybody about the subpoena for one year. OWS approached the ACLU and they were able to lift a part of that gag order after challenging it in court. OWS said it was the first time they had ever received a subpoena and they were committed to treat any future requests the same way. This type of encryption worries law enforcement who today have virtual free reign to monitor online conversations. Here's the former FBI director, James Comey. All of our papers and effects, all of our communications will at some point be covered by strong encryption. That will have profound consequences for law enforcement. And former President Barack Obama. I lean probably further in the direction of strong encryption than some do but I am sympathetic to law enforcement because I know the kind of pressure they're under to keep us safe. What happens on many of these messaging platforms is the U.S. government or governments around the world will request access to the encrypted data through warrants. Think of the case of the San Bernardino shooter and Apple who refused to give the government a backdoor into the shooter's phone. Breaking news overnight. I want to get right to that. Apple is refusing to follow a government order to hack the San Bernardino shooter's phone. The FBI believes important clues about accomplices and more plots could be hidden on that phone, but Apple says that complying with the government order could endanger everyone with an iPhone. Now, this level of security is key to the success of Signal. On February 21st, 2018, Moxie Marlin Spike and WhatsApp co-founder Brian Acton announced the former formation of the Signal Foundation, a 503 nonprofit whose mission is to support, accelerate, and broaden Signal's mission of making private communications accessible and ubiquitous. The foundation was started with an initial $50 million in funding from Acton, who had just left WhatsApp's parent company, Facebook, in September of 2017. According to the announcement, Acton is the foundation's executive chairman, and Marlin Spike continues as the CEO of Signal Messenger. As of 2020, Signal ran entirely on donations as a nonprofit. Coming up, the rise of Signal after the George Floyd protests and speculation that it's not as secure as people would like you to think. Before the break, we discussed the history of Signal's development and its position in the greater conversation around encryption and law enforcement. And as you guessed, they don't really care. Here's Moxie from a TechCrunch <laughs> interview back in 2017. I'm not that concerned about um, like the criminalization of uh, cryptography anymore, in part because you know Signal is approved for use in the U.S. Senate. Uh, people at the highest levels of the U.S. government are using Signal internally, um, and so I think. You know, government is really starting to understand that um, that like cryptography has security value. Um, you know, that outweighs. Uh, you know, whatever, you know, risk that they have of losing visibility. And then we saw the murder of George Floyd. Breaking news in the killing of George Floyd, who died on Memorial Day. There you see him right there. His death 
After being held by officers, you see them right there, four officers there in Minneapolis. Overnight, Minneapolis on fire. Protesters leaving an auto parts store in flames. Others seen looting a local target. Tonight was a different night of protesting. All of it after demonstrators approached one of the city's police precincts. We're about to lose the front of the precinct if we don't move this crowd out of the front. And in response to the overwhelmingly abusive and heavy-handed approach that law enforcement took across the nation, and after the U.S. Department of Justice gave the Drug Enforcement Administration new authority to, quote, conduct covert surveillance uh, of some protesters, According to a memo obtained by BuzzFeed News, protesters were looking for a safe way to communicate. In response, Signal announced the release of a feature that enables users to blur faces and photos they share and will automatically detect faces and obscure them. Marlon Spike also said his organization is looking for a manufacturer to make physical face coverings for demonstrators free of charge. One immediate thing seems clear. 2020 is a pretty good year to cover your face. The New York Times reported that the week before George Floyd's murder on May 25th, about 50,000 first-time users would download Signal. And that's according to data from analytics firm Sensor Tower. The following week, as protests grew nationwide, there were 78,000 new downloads. And in the first week of June, there were almost 200,000 downloads. In that same article, an activist notes that Signal was developed by a nonprofit. WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, so it makes money off of who's talking to who. And this is where things get fuzzy because Signal wasn't always a nonprofit. In fact, funding for the project can actually be traced back to the U.S. government. Okay, so before we go full conspiracy theory here, we should note that most likely nothing improper is at play. Uh, Moxie, by all accounts, is 100% committed to this mission. However, there's been extensive reporting done on privacy backdoors ever since Edward Snowden's NSA leaks, which showed just how far the government's gone to monitor virtually every corner of the internet. That's right. A lot of what we'll discuss here for the purpose of presenting a complete story largely depends on how you view the motivations of these government agencies who are tasked with funding internet privacy. Honestly, I, I feel everything is most likely a gray area with some good actors, some bad actors. So follow us on a quick detour and you can make up your own mind. So much of the speculation it revolves around the Broadcasting Board of Governors, or BBG. Now, Yasha Levine, a writer for Pando and the author of Surveillance Valley, has done extensive reporting on the history of this organization, which has also helped create Tor, a free and open source software for enabling anonymous communication by directing internet traffic through a free worldwide volunteer overlay network, which consists of more than 7,000 relays in order to conceal users' location and usage from anyone conducting network surveillance or traffic analysis a.k.a. the dark web. Tor was originally a project created by the U.S. Navy and eventually spun out into a non-profit and funded then by the U.S. government as a way to develop secure communication for its operatives in foreign countries over the Internet. The solution bounced the user's signal all over a worldwide network to prevent it from being tracked back to that original user. But the problem was when watching that internet traffic, it was really easy to detect this behavior if only a couple users were actually utilizing it. So the U.S. government opened it up for public use so that more users would help obscure the traffic of their spies and agents working abroad. But with this privacy came what's known as the dark web, where illicit activity is rampant because it's where it goes undetected. Now, because the U.S. government developed or helped develop the technology, there's also speculation that there could be a backdoor, or at least 
they'd get tips from the development team when there actually is a security hole for them to temporarily exploit. More likely, though, it's been suggested that as our surveillance capabilities have dramatically improved and we're able to track and organize data at a larger volume and faster speed than ever, law enforcement agencies have kind of a way of tracking tour traffic behavior and potentially mapping it back to individuals. As of 2012, which is about eight years ago now, 80% of the tour project's $2 million annual budget came from the U.S. government. And with the U.S. State Department, the Broadcasting Board of Governors, and the National Science Foundation as major contributors to aid democracy advocates in authoritarian states. So... Why does this all matter for Signal? Well, the Broadcasting Board of Governors distributes funds, about $721 million annually, that fund various agencies that then fund private companies and nonprofits around the world, Signal being one of them. All right. Well, let's go down this rabbit hole a little further then. (laughs) Okay. So one of those agencies is Free Radio Asia. Free Radio Asia is essentially a U.S. government propaganda channel similar to Russia's Russia Today Network, or RT. Free Radio Asia specifically pumps news stories into various Asian countries. Those stories are pro-democracy, pro-American worldview, and can be used to sow seeds of doubt and dissension. Does it sound familiar? Sounds kind of like the Russian election interference we've heard so much about for the last four years, right? Yeah, it's exactly where they got a lot of those tactics from, as this has been going on since the 1950s. And so when countries would ban this type of information, the U.S. would then use TOR to continue to pipe it in. Um, Think China, right? China would would ban the, the feed, and the U.S. would encourage its listeners to use TOR in order to access the content. In fact, it was one of the main use cases for TOR early on so that they could ensure that these U.S. sympathizers were still able to get this type of news through Free Radio Asia or its counterparts, Free Radio Europe and Radio Liberty. Now, Radio Free Asia was founded and funded in the 1950s by an organization called Committee for Free Asia. Uh, It's really an anti-communist propaganda operation by the CIA. In 1971, the CIA involvement ended and all responsibilities were transferred to a presidentially appointed Board for International Broadcasting. Then in 1999, responsibilities were transitioned to the Broadcasting Board of Governors. Until 2016, the Broadcasting Board of Governors was operated by an eight-member board who were appointed by the president, and by law, only four could be part of the same political party. So it was designed to be fairly objective, and they would report directly to the Secretary of State. In 2016, the then-President Barack Obama removed the eight-member board and replaced them with a single CEO appointed by the president. Okay, I don't want to go too deep here, but essentially Signal took money from Radio Free Asia and the BBG's investment arm, Open Technology Fund, in the early days, uh, before it became a nonprofit, and Radio Free Asia is really seen by some as a U.S. propaganda agency that helps build instability and overthrows governments in the same way that Russia has most notably tried to build divides and instability in the U.S. society, politics, and government today. Here's Moxie being asked about the investment. Signal uh, received a grant from uh, Open Technology Fund, uh, which is not a U.S. government organization, but they receive funding from uh, the Broadcast Board of Governors, yeah. which receives funding from... So there's like you yeah. know, three levels of interaction. Okay. We, after all this, probably need a quick break, so let's take one, and we'll be back with some more on Signal.
Before the break, we were discussing some of the criticism leveled against Signal as they took money from the US government early in the development. And now many of their users are trying to shield themselves and their conversations from that very government. And in Moxie's own words, he feels that inconveniencing law enforcement in favor of personal privacy it's a pretty fair trade-off. You know, my feeling is that privacy is not about austerity, you know, uh, that I think, um, you know, people say like, look, you know, there's a culture of sharing and communication and that means that privacy is dead. And I don't think that those two things are incompatible. You know, I think that, um, you know, people um, want to, you know, share photos or stories on Facebook with their friends, you know. The, yeah. The, their intent is not to share it with, you know, ad networks or Facebook or Facebook employees or the U.S. government or foreign governments or whatever. And so what I'm interested in doing is trying to bring technology in line with people's intent. So now Signal is being touted and recommended by Edward Snowden and tech elites like Elon Musk as a truly safe way to communicate privately. The Signal team itself is still fairly small with just 37 employees, according to LinkedIn. Uh, compared to its slightly more corporate and more for-profit counterpart, Telegram, which has over 230 employees. Yeah, in fact, Signal just had a near 24-hour outage just a couple of days ago because of a surge in users. Everything is now resolved, but it's a byproduct of a small team propping up communication for over 20 million people around the world. Yeah, this is a really exciting development to a society whose pendulum many felt had swung too far on the side of mass surveillance. Now, I personally hope that more people working in the encryption space are able to push initiatives forward that do bring privacy back for everybody. I agree. As a basic tenant, I believe all people have the right to privacy, so I'm, I'm rooting for them. So that's all we have for today. Uh, but coming up in two weeks, we have a brand new season of Rocket Ship. Mike, you want to tell them what it's all about? Yes, yes. We will be focusing on workplace confessionals. And these are your confessions. Um, we're asking listeners to really give us their own confessions about working in product. Maybe it's a product confession. Maybe it's a confession about something you've dealt with, uh, maybe more of a people issue we're getting some of our friends, some guest experts, if you will, to talk through some of these confessions with us, and it's been a lot of fun already. All right. Well, we'll see you back here next Thursday for a new episode of Rocketship FM. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.